Hello and welcome to episode two of the TA Report. My name is Matt Clark. I will be your host today as always. Today uh, we've got a fantastic episode lined up. I sat down last week with, or actually the week before I should say, with Kevin Trainer, the Head of Resourcing and Talent at the Financial Conduct Authority. We talked about all things diversity, how the rest of the HR team can learn from resourcing, and what the future of a great talent acquisition team looks like. It was a great conversation, really appreciated Kevin's time, and I hope you all enjoy it. You can catch me on matt at hirewindow.com if you've got any feedback or any questions following this episode, and please do leave a review if you enjoyed it, or if you didn't enjoy it, and we'll try to make things better in the future. Enjoy the episode. Speak soon. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TA Report. Um, I am in sunny Stratford today, Stratford, London, that is, at the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority. A beautiful office space um, right in the middle of a fantastic area uh, that's undergoing a huge amount of regeneration. So really exciting time for them. And I am joined today by uh, Kevin Trainer. Kevin, welcome to the TA Report. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. I think there's an awful lot of interesting, uh, interesting TA chat for us to, uh, to to get through with regards to the FCA. For um, for the benefit of our listeners, for people who don't know you, who maybe aren't too familiar with the FCA, could you possibly give a quick intro to the organisation and to your your role within the yeah. FCA? So the FCA is the regulator for the conduct regulator for financial services. So we do the regulation across all of um, retail, wholesale, banking and markets. Um, and that's everything from insurance through to loan sharks and high cost credit. Um, and we are very much acting on behalf of the consumers of financial products. So looking at the harms that can affect the market and how we can mitigate some of that risk, but also make sure that markets work well and uh, are fit for purpose. Uh, my role within that is I'm head of department for resourcing and talent. So I have four teams, one is executive resourcing, the other is resourcing, and then I do a team that has executive leadership and then talent development, which includes our graduate recruitment um, and then our hypo schemes uh, within that. Awesome. So quite a broad role, not just talent acquisition, but all things talent as well. What does, in that case, a day in the life of Kevin Trainer look like? That is an extremely difficult question to answer because depending on what time of the year it is, depending on what is happening in any of those given areas, um, and depending on uh, sometimes what's happening in terms of sensitive issues around the organisation, I can be pulled into all sorts of manner of different things. And that can be anything from someone at a very senior level quitting and we don't have or we need to engage our succession plan it can be anything also from uh, you know recruitment issues that we're looking at signing off exceptions Uh, people want to talk a little bit about how we're structured and how we can make things better it's a very 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 varied role Mm -hmm. I suppose that variety is you, you must take enjoyment from that essentially and part of what attracted you to the role Definitely, uh, yep. It's uh, it's the variety of the role and it's the variety of the organisation. Uh, we're an organisation of under 4,000 people, mm-hmm. um, but the breadth of what we do is quite phenomenal. Uh, we cover all of financial services, so mm-hmm. if you just think about you know, a, a large financial institution like a Barclays or a HSBC, which will cover a lot of financial services market, they will do the wholesale banking and retail banking and other bits and pieces around insurance, but they won't do the entire breadth of financial services. 
Um, so we do the breadth of financial services and we look at that from everything from uh, enforcement through to supervision, policy, we work at the Bank of England on prudential regulation. Um, until I joined here I wasn't quite I wasn't as aware of how broad the shop front really was, mm. despite the fact that actually the FCA had been one of my biggest clients for five years before I mm. joined them and moved in-house. So even having a fairly good and decent knowledge of the FCA, it really wasn't until I came inside that I recognised how broad this organisation is, and as a result, how broad the role that I do is, mm. which just makes it really fascinating, really fun. I think certainly from, from my perspective as a, a consumer of financial products, I, I associated the FCA with... Insurance. I used to work in insurance. That's easy for me to say. And then big banks and credit cards. Um, so I think a lot of people out there in, in the UK probably don't realise the breadth of what the FCA looks after, essentially. Yeah. Since I joined here, it struck me as well. I bought a new kitchen table about a year ago, and I bought it on finance. And yes. the, the young chap who sold me the kitchen table, when we started to go through the finance agreement, started to talk to me about the FCA and the fact mm. that my monthly payments were going to be regulated by yeah. them and there were some things that he needed to go through. Um, and it also does make some very interesting conversations when they then say, so can I ask where you work? Yeah. And you say the FCA and immediately they go get their manager and start having a very <laughs> sure. different conversation yes. with a very nervous looking person. Taking it very like, seriously. Like, it's okay, I just want my table. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough, yeah. Um, awesome. Okay, so that's a great introduction to the FCA, your role. I guess focusing in on talent acquisition and that side of your role, what do you think that the organisation does really well from a talent acquisition perspective? Yeah, this is a conversation that we get asked a lot actually as we go to conferences um, and as we speak about this because we do sit very, very uniquely in our market. Mm -hmm. um, some roles only the FCA will have across the entire UK, Okay. Um, which makes the talent acquisition perspective here kind of unique. Mm. Um, there's not another regulator that does conduct in the UK. Mm. Um, so what we have had to do as a result of that is uh, we focus very, very much on skills-based recruitment as opposed to experiential, mm -hmm. which we are trying to push further and further because the more you look at skills and behaviours mm -hmm. rather than just experience, um, you get a much more diverse pool of talent, which mm -hmm. is just great. And by diversity, I mean in all its guises and mm -hmm. shapes, diversity of cognitive behaviour, diversity of cultural background, and what you can bring to us as a, as a regulator. Um, and off the back of that, we continue to develop our EVP. Um, mm. We take it very, very actively because we don't pay as much as the financial institutions mm -hmm. do in, in a lot of cases. Um, so to be competitive, we need to show what we can offer people both in terms of career, in terms of work-life balance, mm. in terms of intellectual rigor and intellectual behavior, but also our values. A lot mm. of people will come to us um, for that public sector and that public values piece. Yeah. Um, so we're very, very careful to make sure that we're selling an appropriate package that is truthful and representative of what we offer, but also something that's compelling. Mm. Um, and then we work very closely with our colleagues in reward and learning mm. and development and other parts of HR to make sure that also once they arrive here, it's a good journey and that we can hold on to them for longer. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And so let's focus in on on one of the, the subjects you, you sort of mentioned there, which is the fact that you as an organisation are competing with the behemoth that is the financial services industry in, in London. Is that one of your most major challenges in, from a TA perspective? Um, no. Okay. Um, it's not. Uh, we have, I was going to say no problem, that's maybe not quite right, uh, but 
we have issues and challenges around talent acquisition. Mm. Uh, quality of hire is bizarrely not one of them. Okay. Um, because we do sit uniquely, mm. um, I think if you maybe turn the argument on its head for a little bit, and why would you join one insurance firm versus another? Sure. Um, that's a harder thing to sell. Yeah. Um, you know, why X and not Y. Mm. Um, for us, we because we do sit uniquely, the way we can talk to candidates, how we interact with them, how we can bring them a story and a narrative that is very unique to us, mm. um, engages people very directly. So we don't compete necessarily with another something that looks like us. Mm. Um, you're comparing apples and oranges. So while we're of financial services, we're also of public sector and we're mm. of regulation. So depending on which of those three you want to slice and dice, um, we sit in a very different place, so we've got a very compelling story. For some people, they just will not want to work here because mm. the motivations will be different. Sure. If, you d if you don't want, uh, if money is a main motivator, clearly we're not really going to be competing mm. that. You will be working elsewhere. Um, so people self-select out, which kind of helps us a bit as well. Um, and then for those who self-select in, we, we are there with a comprehensive, well-thought-through narrative um, and a culture that actually really welcomes and accepts all different types of skills and all different types of people. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the challenge, I guess, for us is making sure that this great story that we have to tell is mirrored when you come to work here. So there's an internal progression piece, yeah. so an internal recruitment piece once you come in about how we're developing you, what the progression is going to look like, how quickly you can expect that to happen, so that essentially the turnover becomes lower for the zero to two years. Mm. Um, as you can imagine, as a sort of semi-public sector, we have a lot of people here who've spent a, most of their careers here. Mm. Um, and then we have a chunk in the middle who've spent, you know, call it two to 10 and 15 years. Uh, but we have still have a higher turnover ratio in the zero to two years than we would maybe want to. Mm. So we're continuing to work on that. So making sure that the expectations that people are being brought in with are not held or dropped once they come into the organization. Yeah. That career development, career progression is something that we take seriously. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a key challenge for an awful lot of organizations. You know, it's really interesting that your, your EVP, as you put it, kind of becomes self-selective because actually you have that unique place in, in the market. So you're not challenging for exactly the same talent in a strange kind of way. Um, but so many organizations struggle with exactly the same. How do we make sure we have a nice, shiny, EVP, an enjoyable recruitment process, how are we making sure that the candidate experience is compelling and then once they come in the door make sure that continues. Yep. And, you know, that's a that's a key challenge for so many organizations. And I suppose where you're kind of tying that together with L and D, where you're tying it together with the broader HR team, that becomes so important, I imagine, yeah. from a TA perspective. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and I guess it's also something that we're going to have to continue to get comfortable with because as uh, if, if you take the tech industry as an industry that is setting the way in terms of looking at innovation and how they continue to try to compete for a finite resource, mm. the turnover within the tech industry is is shockingly mm. high in terms of how long people intend to stay in given roles. Yes. Um, and their EVPs become more and more innovative and capture markets and you know four-day working weeks and all of the other good stuff that I think is really moving the industry in an interesting place mm. but it's not actually solving their issue of how do you retain talent mm. um, so I guess there's a bigger question about in a new market environment with the new generations coming through who mm. don't expect to be in roles for as long as maybe my generation or the generation ahead of me would have expected to be do we need to think about how we get people once they're in role and how we're recruiting for roles, how we get them up and running just more quickly so that we know that it's a high turnover world that we live in mm. and how you 
structuring your HR and structuring your businesses to be more agile to that challenge. Yeah. Um, so it's an issue of are you still trying to fix an old system that's now becoming out of date or are you mm. looking at ways of how you get people into the organization mm. and become comfortable with that level mm. of turnover. So these are the type of things we're thinking about at the minute. I think that's a really interesting perspective actually. It's kind of a bit, what you're saying is you know, don't throw good money after bad in a strange way. Actually accept the fact that the culture of how long people stay in jobs might be changing. Right. And so how do we actually get value from a new employee quicker mm -hmm. than in the past to make sure that if they only stay for two years, they were up to speed for more than 18 months of that. Yep. Or maybe 20 months of it, for well, example. And the tail of that then is also the interesting uh, phenomenon as well, because I in a higher turnover world, um, if people are turning over more quickly, when people go out to the market, again, having worked here, what are they saying about having been here? Yes. So the employee engagement experience while they're here, you could say is actually more important almost, mm. because your branding and your marketing becomes the people who used to have worked here, and your EVP will become meaningless if it doesn't reflect reality, because mm. it will be called out all too quickly. Yeah. Um, so it is an interesting one about how you engage with people, not necessarily just in terms of how much we're getting out of them, but how mm. much they're getting out of us sure. as well. Sure. And I think that balance will continue to, we'll be exploring that, yeah. as I think everyone is going to have to as the world start to, starts to change a bit. Yeah, there's a fascinating world, the kind of the generational shift mm. and how the culture around uh, the workplace moves with that. On that kind of subject, you've been uh, involved now in the recruitment industry for around about 15 years, uh, unless I'm mistaken. Over that period of time, you'll have seen an evolution across talent acquisition. Some good changes, maybe some bad changes as well. Where do you think you've seen the most progress in, in the industry and in the profession during your time? Yeah, I, I have two answers to this question. Um, and the first answer is a little bit glib, mm. um, but I've been surprised by how little change there has been in the industry okay. over time is actually one of my reflections. Um, so I've been, yeah, <laughs> for a little bit more than 15 years, but we'll, we'll work with 15 because that makes me sound younger. Sure. I like it. Um, when I first started out, I worked in, as a lot of, I, I guess, a, as a lot of us who fall down the recruitment path do, I, I worked for a smaller, what they would call boutique <laughs> organization uh, that did recruitment. Um, and from there moved into Hudson um, and then into executive search. Um, and yeah, I've been surprised actually in some ways that, you know, the process has remained fairly stable and static. The interviews remain quite, you know, there's a lot of talk about AI and gamification of interview processes. Uh, I think we're a long way away from that. I, I think it is exciting to watch and I think there will be elements and parts of the market that it will have a significant impact on. Mm. Uh, but I'm not too sure that generally I buy into the fact that it's all changing that quickly. And when I look back more than 15 years ago to now, mm. it's, it's still a fairly standard process, regardless of whether you're in a recruitment or executive recruitment. Um, so that's one is that I'm, in some ways I'm surprised by the fact that there hasn't been more change. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's been more innovation in the grad recruitment space, mm. but I think that's been necessitated by volumes mm. as opposed to actually necessitated by the move of technology and cultural change. Mm. Um, so that's one observation, but the second observation is there is an exception to everything that I've just said, mm. and the exception to that absolutely, um, and I hope that all of the rest of the market feels this too, but is how far we've moved on diversity as an agenda. Um, and I, it's something that I feel extremely passionate about, mm. um, because I still hear a lot of people talking about how for diversity you need to make a business case. Mm. You don't you should be doing it. Mm. I will make a business case for hiring diverse candidates when you show me a business case for why you're hiring white middle-aged men. Sure. 
and we will absolutely never go down the positive discrimination route because I don't agree with that either. Mm. But your system should be able to encourage greater forms of skills and greater forms of background and your talent programs should also be looking to be as neutral as possible to bring up the introverts within the organization who might not be seen as much to bring up people from cultural backgrounds who are maybe not so quick to stand up and say look at me um, and that it should all be structured around not fixing the person to make them look more like everyone else looks like mm. but fixing the system so that different forms of cognitive behavioral and cultural backgrounds can be represented more broadly mm. um, and I do think that there's still a long way to go mm. but I'm very pleased to see that from when I started off in this industry to where we've gotten to now I think the there is a very strong recognition within the recruitment industry that we've got a lot that we have done and a lot that more that we need to do. Mm. Um, and I think because we live and breathe it, you sometimes forget when a hiring manager goes out to hire and they might only be doing one hire a year or two hires a year, mm. that they don't live it and breathe it the same way that we do yeah. and that there's a big education piece. And I think we need to just remember that we are the bastions of this as we yeah. enter into organizations. And I think we have a significant responsibility both socially and organizationally to mm. move that dial. Mm. Um, and I'm very pleased to see the, the work that has gone into that. Yeah. Um, and like I say, I, diversity for me is not about gender and race, although that is a significant part of diversity. It's about socioeconomic demographics and everything else that creates different cognitive behaviour that makes your workplace more diverse and a better place to work because of it. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I think that I really like the point as well around TA teams being and needing to continue to be champions of the diversity agenda, yeah. because you're right. Whilst there is a huge amount of PR at the moment in the world of diversity, and you know whether you believe there should be a business case or not, the business case is clear and it's out there, and you shouldn't really be needing to prove these, this to senior leaders anymore. Uh, you're right; they're not living it and breathing it, um, whereas we are every day. And I think that that's a great message to put out there that you know you, you have to continue to be a champion and never get complacent about that agenda as well, and think it's fixed because otherwise these things can creep backwards in the wrong direction. Well, then you also have to recognise that I do think most people try to do the right thing. Mm. Um, and that's part of my point about the, the TA and generally resourcing functions is that actually w when you're so used to having these conversations, mm. when you first have them, they are uncomfortable. Mm. And it's not to say that you're not trying to do the right thing, but sometimes people shy away from uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it is right for us to be framing that conversation professionally mm. and not letting a lack of professionalism sort of creep in but also that the healthy challenges in the room because we are the people who are quite often trained to do it and mm. live and breathe it and quite often have those difficult conversations with candidates about whatever it is about rejection letters mm. and whatever we are a group of people that I would hope are sensitive to human interactions and human contact mm. um, and I think that we're in a unique position to move that dial absolutely couldn't agree more couldn't agree more um, so that that kind of is, is the change that you've seen um, in, in your career so far. Let's switch gears, let's fast forward. What, I guess, most excites you about leading talent acquisition for the FCA over the next five, six, seven years, however far into the future you want to go? Yeah, and it's an interesting question. I have been thinking about this for a while in my current role, mm. about what that means. So. I'm going to answer that kind of as you've asked it, okay. which takes it a little bit more narrowly than maybe the question was intended. But 
Um, I'm going to put it in the context of the FCA as opposed to the context of talent acquisition. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, as I presume for a lot of other industries and a lot of other organizations, we talk a lot about workforce planning and then we talk a lot about strategic workforce planning. Mm -hmm. um, but there's very few organizations I've seen that do that particularly well. Mm. And the more and more we head down into a new world where technology, but also the world outside of us, just in terms of how people interact with everything from financial services to technology to um, retail to whatever it is, um, the skills that we need within organizations will be changing much more quickly than they have, have in the past. And the, the dialectic between buy and build, mm. so the L&D teams and the TA teams have traditionally been quite separate, although they do talk to each other. I'm not taking away from the fact that there's interaction between them. I do think there probably needs to be more convergence over the next mm. five to seven to ten years about how much we're actively going to be building our own skill sets in a way that doesn't look like the old form of you know, apprenticeship type mm. structures, but actually looks much, much more broadly at repurposing existing capabilities into other capabilities so that we're more agile and more responsive to the world that we work in. Um, so that's one of the issues um, that does get much, much more into strategic workforce planning that will be a difficult thing to do. Um, and the other thing I think is, is, again, and I know that we're guilty of it, we're getting better, but I'm sure others out there have the same challenges. Um, I'm lucky that talent and resourcing sits within my world. Yes. So that has allowed me to look at pools of talent that come up through the ranks. And A, back to my earlier point, how you're choosing that talent. And is mm. the system already biased towards some people? Not because the system doesn't look good, but because there's just an inbuilt nature to say that we reward extrovertism uh, in, in our talent programs. Um, and how are you looking at those pools of people to make sure that they're progressing up through the organization and that they are truly diverse and respectful of other people and how they work and interact. Um, so we're doing more on that, bringing mm. the talent team together with the resourcing team so that they're actually sort of the same side, the different side of the same coin. Mm. Um, and then more medium to long term, um, realistically, looking at the L&D team and the buy and build mm. dialectic, um, as well as obviously strategy and policy within HR. Um, and other parts of both HR and the business to understand business needs. Um, so that's what I think for the FCA I mm. see as the biggest um, excitement over the next five years or so as to what I would like mm. to do here. Mm. Um, if I then answer the question more broadly in terms of talent acquisition yeah. and the industry as, as, as I see it, I actually find that a very, very difficult question to answer. Um, I will tell you what I'm passionate about continuing to change the next sure. five years, but you've probably already got a flavor for that. Yep. <laughs> I do still think that this diversity agenda needs to be pushed further and further and further. Um, and I do think we need to be conscious of who are the people who are being uh, left out of the system. Mm. Um, you know, whether that's, um, as a lot of the studies are showing these days, younger working class males mm. um, being left out of the system, whether it is uh, people again from different cultural backgrounds, gender, uh, ethnicity, whatever it is, um, I just think that there's, there's still a long way to go. Um, yeah. And I would be very much excited to see where we're going to take it because yeah. from where we were five and 10 years ago to where I hope we will be in five and 10 years will, I hope, be an exciting thing to watch. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, I, I, yeah, if we look at the last five years, of that diversity agenda, I don't think anyone could say we haven't come quite a long way. Um, so hopefully that, that momentum can certainly continue into the, into the future. Yeah. So it sounds like, from your perspective, the, the future of 
a good talent acquisition team is probably closer integration, as it were, with L&D, with the broader sort of talent management. Is that fair to say? Yep, yep, yep. And actually, I think in some ways the talent acquisition side of the world has a lot to teach the rest of HR. Mm. Um, we were one of the first parts of HR that uh, headed down the RPO route. Um, and I know of only a few firms who have done a similar thing, but usually with tentative steps down, for example, at the L&D function. Mm -hmm. I think there's lots of lessons learned that we can use after, you know, call it whatever, 15, 20 years of RPO business within the resourcing function. Um, that as other parts of HR, which I do think inevitably will start to head down that direction. Um, I think there's a lot that people in resourcing and, the, and talent and talent acquisition spaces can help other parts of HR understand what the pitfalls are for managing some of those contracts for mm. outsourcing, when it is appropriate, when it's less appropriate, and mm. if you're going to do it, how the relationship between you and your supplier is going to affect the mm. thousands of people or hundreds of people, depending on the size of your company, that work for you, and mm. how they interact with a product that is, for example, in an RPO in um, in our situation, you know, it's, it's the FCA's resourcing model, although it is administered by someone else it is run by us mm. and that again as we go into other areas of HR I think will be a very very interesting thing to see happen absolutely yeah I think that's an interesting point how that the rest of the HR ecosystem can certainly learn lessons mm -hmm. from recruitment if you're talking about RPOs I mean it's been going on for years I mean right. there's hardly anyone in a position like yourself uh, that wouldn't have run an RPO or been at least in close contact with one at some point in their in their career um, I guess that brings us on nicely to perhaps a final question um, formally from, from me, which is what trend or technology do you think has perhaps slipped under the radar of most talent acquisition professionals that will become, I guess, more of a big deal than we perhaps, perhaps realise it will over the coming years? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, good question. Genuinely don't know. Um, I, I think... Some of the stuff that I've pointed out to already is, is stuff that is still under the radar but probably coming. Um, mm. So that lessons learned from RPO and mm -hmm. as you say, the fact that pretty much every company uh, in this country certainly uh, above a certain size will at least have had some form of, whether it's onboarding temps, mm. um, whether it's uh, permanent hires at a more senior level, there'll be some interaction with an RPO model. Um, and I do think that there'll be more trends heading down other parts of HR and the HR ecosystem that mm. will do that. And I think there's, there's probably a lot that we can do to help our colleagues there. Um, so I would say that you're probably starting to see the start of that and that that will continue. Um, but that's not specific to talent acquisition. That's mm. more what I think we can help others with. Um, but in, with regards to talent acquisition, yeah, I don't know. Um, and like I say, in some ways I've been surprised by how little has changed over yeah. the last 15 to 20 years, which makes it slightly harder to imagine yeah. a difference in, in the future. And mm. I don't fully buy into, I mean, it will come and it will be relevant for certain parts of the market and for certain roles, the gamification and yeah. AI and things like that. But I'm, I'm not too sure that it's either A, under the radar anymore, mm. and B, it's the solution to what we think it is. Mm. Mm. This this has come up repeatedly in, in conversations like this that I've been having, the the AI side of things. You know, is is it is it what everyone thinks it is? Do we really understand how it's going to be applied yet? Is anyone really using AI in recruitment yet? Is a, is a big question. Um, but you're right; it's certainly not under the radar. No, and also I still don't know if people know what they mean by AI because no. mostly I think what people mean by AI is actually more algorithms. Yes, which is not actually what AI is mm. technically about. Um, so it's I, I still think there's a long way to go on that. Yeah, yeah. couldn't agree more. Um, 
Kevin, is there anything else that you would like to, to tell our listeners about careers at the FCA? Um, anything else you'd like to, to sort of to, to mention? You can give a shout out if you want to. Um, Hi, mum. <laughs> fantastic. Hi to Kevin's mum. But look, thank you so much for, for sort of joining us on the TA report. I've really enjoyed that. I think it's such a unique kind of view that you can give uh, running all things talent acquisition and talent at the FCA um, I sort of I was talking to you before we started recording about how interesting the organization is to me overall and where it sits in the in, in the kind of you know the very very significant financial services industry um, that the UK has um, so thank you so much for your for your time no problem the only thing I would say is I, I've through my career I've had lots of very, very interesting jobs and very privileged to work for the companies I've worked for, but I definitely, the FCA is a very unique place to work. Mm. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed my time since joining here and mm. just continue to be engaged on a daily basis because it does have a great sense of purpose. Mm. Um, it is full of people who are also filled with that sense of purpose too. Mm. There's a great sense of purpose walking into the building, there's a great sense of well-being. Mm. It's a very respectful and fun place to work. Fantastic. There we go. Purpose. Wonderful. Kevin Trainer, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Matt. Ladies and gentlemen, there we go. Kevin Trainer at the FCA. Kevin, thanks again for your time. I thought that was a great episode. Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, please leave a review or get in touch with me on matt at higherwindow.com to tell me what you think or if you'd like to be a guest here on the TA Report. Otherwise, I'll look forward to speaking soon. Got a couple of great episodes lined up over the next few weeks or so, uh, so I'll obviously let you all know when they're being released. Ciao.